Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know It's still a little hard for me to hear Please take it slow Welcome to Starship Sofa Part of the District of Wonders network Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders Come and find yours I'm tuning in to your transmissions I'm moving, waiting to be found And I'm building rockets This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 648. I'm your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Well, this this week is the time when Fred Heimbar, our new editor, has wet his, dipping his toes in the waters there and stand up to be his first time editing and getting the show notes. So, well done there, Fred. Many more to come, sir. Thank you very much. So, yes, we're on Starship Sova numbers 648. Jay Weintraub is our author today, and what a story. It first appeared in Chasm magazine way back in autumn 1995. So I'll give you a little heads up about Jay Weintraub. A member of the Dramatics Guild, Jay Weintraub has short plays, radio dramas produced throughout the United States and in Australia, New Zealand, India and Germany. His fiction, poetry and essays have been published in all sorts of literary reviews, general magazines and scholarly journals. And his translations from the French and Italian have appeared in publications in the US and the UK and Australia. As a translator, he's also introduced the Italian horror writer Nicola Lombardi to the English-speaking public. Now, this story is narrated by Brian Rollins. Brian Rollins is a voice actor living in Denver, Colorado. He narrates a variety of podcasts and performs audiobooks. His latest adventure has been hosting the Dorky Geeky Nerdy Trivia podcast, a show that gives listeners... 
30 geeky trivia questions on a different topic every week. And you can find more about that, thevoicesinmyhead.com. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. The Colonizers by Jay Weintraub. Read for you by Brian Rollins. Day 1. The society we encountered is a primitive one, according to Dr. Stroxa, yet one that is highly structured and regulated. She also had reported that our initial contact would likely be peaceful and that the inhabitants would probably not respond with violence unless provoked. Dr. Stroxa proved to be correct. There was no resistance. In fact, hardly any notice at all was taken of our arrival, a curious lack of interest, particularly in view of our spectacular entrance. We had intended to land on a flat, grassy plain some 500 meters from the nearest settlement, but a sudden upsurge in wind velocity pushed us off our trajectory, and we impacted on a field of ripe grain ready for harvest. Half the crops were incinerated by our afterburners, yet the agricultural workers nearby seemed undisturbed by the destruction we had caused. No astonishment, no alarm, hardly any interest whatsoever. They simply ceased work, drew near, observed us as we disembarked, and then resumed our tasks, as if the appearance of an alien force in their midst were an everyday occurrence. Nor have they made any attempt to communicate with us, and I suspect that it will be some time before we establish contact from our side. In fact, as far as I can tell, it seems that the inhabitants of this planet have no language at all, at least not an oral one. Yet, how can this be? In all of our databanks, there is no record of any intelligent life form having developed a structured society without the benefit of a language of some sort. Of course, we now may be dealing with one of the lower orders, and Straxa has suggested that language might be the privilege of a ruling class not yet contacted. But such a cultural monopoly is also without precedence. They could, of course, be telepaths. But Arno and Riva are qualified telepaths, and neither senses any unusual stimulation. I have, nevertheless, directed Arno to observe their activities closely. Perhaps he will eventually break through their seemingly impenetrable indifference. Or could they be androids? Dr. Lemmy assures me that they are completely organic with physiologies similar to our own. Yet, their activities are so fragmented and mechanical, they could easily be taken for robots. Dr. Lemmy suggested the possibility of organic androids, but he and I both know that previous experiments of that kind have all been failures. In any case, Lemmy is eager for a dissection. I've warned him that a specimen must come to him by natural means or not at all. There must be no provocation. In the meantime, we shall concentrate on securing our base compound. Research strategies must also be established, and our biological surveys must begin at once. Fortunately, it appears that our operations will not be opposed by the population. I have reminded the team that there is far more glory in a peaceful, bloodless colonization than one accomplished through violence. The spoils belong to us no matter what the means, and, although I have cautioned them against overconfidence, it seems likely that our operation will run smoothly, as routine as the pacification of the Orion system. Preliminary Observations The atmosphere is well oxygenated, quite invigorating in fact. The soil is rich, highly nitrogenous, 
it will support whatever vegetation we choose to transplant. Already I'm leaning toward recommending a second-level agricultural colony with a minimum of both creative, demolition, and technological and military support. The cataloging and evaluations have proceeded without complications. Lemmy complains that, with the exception of those planets ravaged by thermonuclear war, he has never seen an environment with such a scarcity of diverse vegetable and animal material. He and Stroxa have already been on numerous excursions and have been able to identify only a few grasses, a single flowering plant, and one grain which the inhabitants cultivate. There are woodlands, but these seem to be orchards rather than forests. They consist of only two varieties of conifer, probably the male and female version of the same tree. The female produces a sweet nut, rich in protein, and a staple in the diets of the inhabitants. There is insect life, an ant, a bee, a moth, an earthworm. I use the singular intentionally, since there seems to be no variation within a species, as if the evolutionary competition has been so fierce that there could only be one survivor within an ecological niche. So far, we have discovered no intermediate stages between these few insects and the humanoid population, leading me to suspect that either all life on this planet was recently imported, or that all the intermediate animal forms have been exterminated artificially or naturally. Doctors Lemmy and Stroxa begin exploration of the southern latitudes tomorrow, and perhaps they will be able to account for these curious gaps. The Agricoles we have come no nearer to understanding the forces that control and motivate the native populations. They continue to remain as inaccessible to us as a colony of bacteria. It's very discouraging. Even the most primitive neoliths maintain symbol systems that can be interpreted and used. But these villagers behave like a community of mute reptiles incapable of conscious thought. Yet their society is strangely regulated. Their customs and activities are more rigidly defined than any described in the data banks, far more regimented than even the totalitarian systems of the Gamma Network, which, to the eternal gratitude of the entire universe, we have forever eradicated. Riva refers to them as agricoles, for their existence revolves around cultivation, hoeing, weeding, irrigating, pruning, mulching, fertilizing. And, although these are complex tasks, all of their movements are highly formalized, as if each activity had been broken down into its separate components and programmed into their brains. Even a sophisticate from the home territories could learn and accomplish every task for farming a plot of land simply by watching them work for a few days. Is this how they communicate? How they transfer knowledge over generations? Through formalized patterns of movements? Or are their actions instinctual, like the mating habits of birds or the dancing of bees? On the other hand, all of our computer simulations define this society as a hierarchical one, with structure imposed from the top. Yet, we have found no trace of dominion or central power or traditional imperatives or even religious authority. Could it be that a superior race domesticated the current inhabitants and then either abandoned them or were themselves extinguished like the intermediate animals? If so, we have yet to uncover any traces of a superior civilization, although we could be dealing with a population that vanished millennia ago. 
I shall recommend that a paleoarchaeologist be assigned to the colony as well as a professional ethnographer. Specimens Stroxa disagrees with me. She insists that a research grantee at the cadet level would be quite adequate. This planet is hardly worth a baccalaureate thesis, she insists. To waste the time of a fully accredited ethnographer would be scandalous. She'd kill herself out of boredom within the first year. She also feels that a paleoarchaeologist would be useless. In their entire exploration of the southern hemisphere, Stroxa and Lemmy found no signs of a superior civilization. Nothing new, nothing different from what we had observed here. The same vegetation, the same insects, the same absence of higher forms of animal life. The agricultural communities, too, are almost identical to those in the northern latitudes. The southerners subsist on the same limited diet of grains and nuts, wear the same brown tunics that have all the character of burlap sacks, use the same elementary utensils and tools, eat at the same troughs like livestock, and sleep in the same kind of communal barracks. There is greater use of fire to compensate for the cooler climate, but in general the southern populations also exist without any meaning or variety in their lives beyond the tending of their stable crops. There is a society here, says Stroxa, but no culture. Already Stroxa and Lemmy feel they have collected sufficient data for their report, and I have directed them to prepare for their return. Specimens of all identifiable species of animal and vegetable life have been transferred to the biochambers, with the single exception of Catalea Lemmy. This is the flower that grows in clusters sporadically at the fringes of the settlements. It seems to be a wild growth, although the agricoles spend as much time caring for these plants as for their crops, and whenever one of our expedition draws near, several villagers are sure to interpose their bodies between the visitor and the flower, preventing close inspection. Lemmy, however, managed to examine a specimen one morning shortly before dawn, when the agricoles were asleep. The fragrance is extraordinary for such a small flower, he reported, and it drives the bees to delirium. The fact that the bees are nocturnal also accounts for the phosphorescence of the petals, since its bloom is the single source of nectar and pollen for the bees, and since honey forms an essential ingredient for the agricole's favorite beverage, I can understand the desire to protect the plant. It's an orchid and shall be named Catalea lemmy. I can acquire a specimen tomorrow without anyone being the wiser. I informed the doctor that he would have to be satisfied with a photo scan. Under no circumstances would I permit him to remove one of the plants. But the botanical commission will never accept classification from a photo scan. They require a living specimen. There must be a dissection as well. Why, some colonial agricultural engineer will claim to have discovered the species, and it will be his name that appears in the catalogs throughout the universe, not mine. I told the doctor that I had no interest whatsoever in the nomenclature of a plant. My directive was to avoid any confrontation that might jeopardize our mission and interfere with the establishment of the colony. Apparently, Lemmy did not agree with me. He seemed quite upset by my decision. The Burial I was right about the orchid. It seems to have significant meaning for the agricoles, and perhaps even plays a sacred role in their lives. 
This evening, while I was sweeping the outskirts of one of the settlements in search of buried artifacts, I noticed one of the workers wandering away from the fields. He was pressing his hands against his temples, and his mouth was wide open as if he wanted to cry out in pain. And then he collapsed. Soon afterward, his companions gathered around him, and, with the same composure and indifference with which they performed all of their tasks, they stripped the tunic from him, dragged him over to a nearby orchid, and scattered compost over his body. A shallow grave was dug beneath the flower, and, after wrapping the roots around his corpse, they buried him there. For even the most primitive of societies, death and burial have religious significance. Does this orchid represent for the agricoles an afterlife? A resurrection? Can the simple ceremony I witnessed this evening help us understand this culture, which so far has resisted all of our efforts to penetrate its silence? When I informed Lemmy of the incident, he seemed more interested in the circumstances of the villager's death than the details of the burial. An implant, he exclaimed, an implant in the brain. That's how they are controlled and monitored. Perhaps, I replied, but it could just as easily have been a natural death, a stroke of some kind. There's one way to find out, he muttered, and it was then that I should have confined him to his quarters. Exhumation They dissected him, Lemmy and Strzoksa both, shortly before dawn, as he lay there in his grave. There was no implant. They are very much like us, reported Lemmy although I only had enough time and light for a cursory examination. Since those roots had enmeshed the entire body, I concentrated on the brain. Both hemispheres appear to be well-developed, and I cannot account physiologically for the absence of language or a complex culture. The vocal cords, however, had atrophied as if they had degenerated into vestigial organs like our appendix. The cause of death? A massive brain hemorrhage. I did not thank Lemmy for his information, and I'm sure he did not expect me to be grateful. On the other hand, there is no point in initiating punitive measures, although I certainly intend to report his insubordination to the Central Council. I ordered him to prepare for liftoff tomorrow. The sooner the better, was his only reply, and, despite his assurances that the desecration was unobserved, I have multiplied our guard for the night. Parting Gifts Today, on the morning of the command ship's departure, they made contact. Apparently, they sensed Lemmy's covetous lust for their beloved orchids, for as soon as he emerged from his quarters, a pair of agricoles presented him with two young specimens, a supply of mulch, and a small colony of bees, their hive encased in a crude wooden box. The bees are necessary in nature for cross-pollination, explained Lemmy. That could be performed by hand in the laboratory. These are immature plants, but even so, look at how the labellum glows with color and the fragrance. It was almost stupefying last night. I can see why they've made a shrine of this flower, particularly in view of the overpowering monotony of this ecosystem. I asked him if there were any additional attempts to communicate other than the presentation of gifts. He informed me that as soon as they dropped the objects at his feet, they retreated to the fields and resumed working. But they've given me all I need for a successful cultivation. As you know, I'm an excellent gardener and even have a hybrid oncinium to my credit. I wonder how long before they reach maturity. You should have seen the size of the one out there. The rhizome was as thick as your arm. No wonder they spend so much time tending the base of the plant, aerating its roots. 
If only I had another specimen that I could dissect. I said it was a pity he would not have the opportunity and helped him carry the orchids into the botanical chamber. I was relieved to see them take off. Both Stroxa and Lemmy have valuable minds, but I cannot tolerate insubordination. Moreover, they were becoming restless and unpredictable. It requires the patience and discipline of a soldier to bivouac on alien terrain for years, preparing it for colonization. Our scientists require challenges of far greater complexity than can be found on this dull planet. The Attack I suppose after half a year on this planet without incident, with hardly a variation in the daily routine, we'd grown complacent. We were unprepared for the raid, especially one so well conceived and coordinated. We were easily overpowered. They destroyed everything, without emotion and as methodically as if they were clearing ground for a new field. Our equipment, our weapons, our databanks, our supplies, our communications are all gone. It will be months before the command vehicle even realizes they have lost contact with us. They harmed none of us despite the fact that five of their own were killed and dozens wounded. When they finished their work of destruction, they left us as calmly as if they had just paid us a cordial social visit, carrying their dead and wounded along with them. We have been completely neutralized, reduced to their level. We must now reassess our situation, determine what can be salvaged and what can be rebuilt, and then take defensive precautions to prevent such an outbreak from reoccurring. I will persist in my observations. I want the colony to be well acquainted with their resources and challenges before it touches down in force. Naturally, as soon as the mission achieves orbit, I will request permission for retaliatory action. Until then, we need only to survive. Arno Arno had been observing them for longer periods and at closer proximity than any of us. He had yet to make contact, but he knew them as well as if he had been studying them under laboratory conditions. On occasion, he even joined in their activities, and I thought it would be easy for him to acquire farm implements for our compound. Some of our seed supplies escaped destruction. We could grow vegetables and be free of those abominable nuts. I was therefore pleased when I saw him with a hoe turning the soil with the others. Two hours later, he was still working in the fields. I asked Riva to investigate to see if anything was wrong. Riva had always been Arno's closest companion, but I still warned her to be careful. I supposed she felt Arno would never harm her. She didn't even flinch when, after she touched him on the shoulder, he swung around and split her skull with his hoe. By the time I arrived, Arno had already removed her clothes, and the others were helping him drag her to one of the orchids. There was nothing I could do. The sharp edge of the hoe had cleft her forehead nearly in half. I watched as Arno and the others dug a trench at the base of the plant, working like surgeons with their hoes and picks, careful to not damage the bulbous rhizome or the roots. After covering Riva's body with mulch, they shoved her into the hole, encircling her with a tangle of roots. As soon as the first tendril touched the blood from her skull, the entire plant quivered as though with greed and delight. I suddenly understood everything. After walking slowly back to the compound, I armed myself with a crowbar and waited for Arno to appear. He did not return, spending the night, I suppose, with them. Of course, Arno is not to blame, nor are the agricoles. It is neither he nor they whom I will confront tomorrow. Confrontation 
There was no point in approaching the orchids during the day. Their protectors were on the alert. I chose the hour before dawn, traveling far to an outlying hillock. I was determined to destroy one with my own hands. From my first day on the planet, I had been aware of the fragrance. Even from a distance, it pervaded the night air. I could detect a characteristic aroma. But the overall impression was never the same, varying in intensity and hue like the many shades of a primary color. As I neared the flower, its perfume seemed to reflect the depth of my rage, thickening, becoming dense and heavy, enveloping me like a coagulating web that all my strength could not tear through. When I was close enough to touch it and raise the crowbar above my head, my brain began to ring as if it were sounding an alarm, crying out in self-preservation, and the veins in my temples began to boil and pound. A fire had been ignited inside my skull, and I can remember nothing else. In the morning, there was dirt beneath my fingernails and in the crevices of my palms and on my pants around the kneecaps, as if I had spent all night kneeling at the base of the orchid, hoeing the ground with my hands, aerating its roots. Survival of the Fittest As an exercise in evolutionary biology, Dr. Lemmy invariably asked his students to choose a lower form of life and, assuming that the life form had acquired intelligence, extrapolate the civilization that would eventually be developed from it. None of us cadets were ever foolish enough to select a rooted plant for an example. We all knew that Lemmy held that root-bound plants, dominated by the circumstances of their environment, could never develop tools and would therefore never have the capacity to control nature and form a culture. Lemmy was wrong. It seems that Catalea Lemmy was somewhat ahead of its humanoid competitors in the development of intelligence. It may not have had the ability to create tools itself, but it was apparently quite capable of controlling the wills of those who could. Now, Catalea Lemmy has decided to colonize, like us. I wonder if it will be as successful as it had been here. Dr. Lemmy, as he reminded me, is a very good gardener, and he once told me that the seed capsule of a single orchid can contain over a million seeds. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And there you go. Huge thank you to GA Wine Club Door. Thank, thank you so much. Please, more of them, more of them. And Brian, lovely to have you back on the show. Thank you indeed. So, like I say, Fred's dipping his toes there. First one's under the belt there, Fred. Thank you so much. Are we still liking the Mandalorian and Star Trek Discovery? I certainly am. And as a little treat to myself, we're like watching, celebrating Star Trek Discovery coming out. There was an offer, and I don't know if it's still on there, on the Apple TV. You got all the kind of the back movies of the other, you know, like of, of the kind of the original Star Trek and then the next generation as well. You got them movies. Now, I think it was for 1999. So I'm going back through them. I've done the, the new films, you know, the kind of the recent released videos from Star Trek, which I love, absolutely love. So that's together with the Mandalorian. I'm at this moment. I'm in a happy place. Are you still liking it? Is it is it something that's still catching your eyes or catching your ears as well? So let us know. Starships over at gmail.com. And come on, cough us out there. <laughs> keep your hands in your pockets there. Don't forget Perion or PayPal it would be fantastic to keep this old girl running smoothly. Until next time, I would just like to say good night from me. Thank you for listening.
catch myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.